Hello, and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. I've got something a little different for you this time. I took a little trip from Baton Rouge to Houston to visit Randy, who was one of the guests on the Lunar Wave Roundtable. We had a really great time, and he showed me some very fascinating things. And uh, we decided to give Crow777 a call, and I had my field recorder with me, and I recorded the conversation. I didn't know if it was going to amount to anything uh, particularly interesting, but I think it did, and I thought I'd put that out for everyone to have a listen to. So, not my typical interview style. It's definitely not an interview. It's just a conversation amongst friends. But I hope you enjoy it. Here it is going to be an impromptu and just no format to it just conversation and whatever we want to talk about and i think one thing we need to talk about is the lunar wave may be coming up here to any time right now i don't see the moon right about this moment but hey we'll talk about a little bit of stuff what do you think yeah no problem um, i was actually hoping i was going to be able to film last night it was really clear but <laughs> had a storm blow in and actually got rain so yeah crow i did want to ask you what is it the autumnal equinox that's one of the times that, that uh, you've caught stuff before, right? That's, well, right, right now, the equinox that we're just about to come into um, is when I shot the best lunar wave that's been captured so far in 2012. And it also coincides with one of the highest Jewish holidays, which is also a, a culture that works off the lunar calendar. You, you can look. It's the high. It's you could look it up. It's the highest holy holiday. I think it's the last day of the highest holy holiday, and it's about redemption and oddly enough, the finger of God and that kind of thing. I think it's Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just googling. Maybe it, now. it is Yom Kippur. You know, I'm, I'm totally confused. It's probably one of those two. If you look it up, you'll see it's the highest holy holiday. Well, I tell you what, right here in the Houston area. Right now, the skies are crystal clear, man. I mean... It's a beautiful night. Clear as it can be. No mosquitoes for a change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had a big switch. It was all hot and humid, and the being had been terrible for just, like, months. And then right when September hit, it cooled down, and the air dried out. And it, interestingly enough, the other morning, I think it was the 12th of September, uh, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning... And I walked out, and that was the day that the temperature just dropped. It cooled right off. The, the sky was completely cute, no humidity. Everything was clear, and I walked out. And for the first time, where I am, um, there's no city lights or anything. I'm kind of out in the boonies, and uh, you can see the Milky Way. And for the first time, I saw what's referred to as the arch of the skies, how the stars are always kind of described in the old writings as an arch. Yeah. For the first time, I, I visualized, I could literally see the arc of the stars. Um, it's the first time I ever saw it, and part of its perception, but being in a place that's so dark and clear and the perfect scene conditions, it was, I was just like, whoa, that's what they were writing about all those years ago. Yeah. Because there wasn't any light pollution, or as much, right? No, and the you know, Seeing has a lot to do with it, and Randy will know because he uses a scope. If you have humidity or it's been hot in the day, um, all that heat exchange and moisture in the air and turbulence in the air, um, it affects the seeing. So when it's nice and cool and dry and there's no heat exchange coming off the buildings around you or the trees or the ground, um, you get these crystal clear shots. But, um, yeah. you know, I just, I just put up a show today on Freemasonry. Um, and they call the upper degrees past what's initiation level for Hebrews. 
is the Royal Arch, you know, above Royal Arch degrees. And the Royal Arch is the arch of the sky, the apex of that being the keystone in Freemasonry. Wow. So, I mean, it, it's encoded everywhere in all the old literature about the sky above us. Man, if you only had just half the answers to everything <laughs> that's happening around us, it's like if you could actually put the all the dots together or just a fraction of the dots to get a bigger picture of what's truly going on and uh, some of the stuff that you've been doing here lately and and um, Zachary Hubbard's stuff is like, wow. It just blows me away to uh, see how all the numbers are, how things are planned by the numbers. That's intriguing. It, it, it just really opened my eyes on a lot of stuff. Well, it's a bit mind-bending. You know, in the last two episodes I put up, um, I was talking about Prince's stage death and how it was a tribute to the Queen of England's birthday. But, you know, the other day I was in the car and I heard the song Ventura Highway by America, and there was the line that I never really noticed before because I heard it so many times you don't really listen that said Purple Rain. And so, you know, I, yeah. I went back and looked it up, and sure enough, 44 years before the death of Prince, the band America was foreshadowing it. Oh, yeah. Um, crazy. It's amazing how things are so far planned out. And it's, you know what, I, I kind of look back at and about, uh, like, ancient history, and even going into, like, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I, I'm thinking... Okay, if somebody has an agenda that's been, or somebody or something, whatever it might be, has planned a plan for centuries or hundreds of years to into the future, how do you not know that certain things are not planted for them to be found at certain times? Did a child or did a kid actually go in a cave and just haphazardly find these scrolls, and now they build this whole religion on these scrolls or any other information or some of the stuff that you see on cave walls was it actually planted there or did it really was drawn by an indigenous people or something other see that's that's what i it intrigues me is is that if they're singing a song that many years in advance before the person's death huh what else has been planned for thousands of years or hundreds of years whatever it might be I mean, it's like we always say, um, the details of a thing will prove it out. And, you know, in the case of the Dead Sea Scrolls, you may be surprised to understand um, the Catholic Church actually held complete control over that for many years. And we're told what finally happened is some guy in a university leaked it out on the Internet finally. But up to that point, it was under the complete control of the Catholic Church. (laughs) Much of the episode 23 that I released today is all about uh, the Masonic infiltration of the Vatican and the encoding of religion with uh, with astronomy. Yeah, and 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 pagan, you know, seemingly pagan things from ancient Greece and Rome all the way back to Osiris and Isis. You know, and at this this point in our existence, everyone's pretty sick of hearing Isis because (laughs) they've uh, they've beat that horse to death just about. Yeah, it's amazing. What you been doing lately, man? You've been uh, having some clear skies, no Kimmies up there or anything like that? Or what's been happening? No, it's constant, constant chemtrails. As a matter of fact, today, you know, last night was so clear. 
Um, but the moon wasn't quite right in the right position. We've got so many trees here, I have kind of a diminished field of view. So I was planning on shooting tonight, and just this huge storm rolled in and finally gave us a little bit of rain. Um, it was a hell of a downpour for a while, thunder and lightning, and now it's just all clouded over. I have got out with my telephoto, um, and I shoot the chem planes from time to time. I just don't always post the footage. Is that every day you get those, pretty much? Like, you can get the chem planes on? Yeah, it's rare. It's rare when we don't get them. As a matter of fact, today, as I was driving back home, uh, right before this big storm blew in instantly, uh, the sky was just crisscrossed with, you know, lines that you could see where they start spraying and turn off. Um, they were all over the sky, and then we suddenly got rain. But, you know, I left San Diego in a drought, <laughs> and I have tried to demonstrate to the best of my ability that that drought is 100% engineered by weather modification. There's a lot of people who yeah. are doing this. And I get here where water's never really been a problem, and here we're in a drought now. As a matter of fact, I talked to my friend in Iowa, and they're hurting for water. And so this it's kind of engineering of our weather patterns. Right? I think there's going to be some really dire effects, and uh, it may well end up set, centering around uh, water. I mean, you can see what's happened in California. If they don't get water soon, it's going to be getting to critical, critical portions. And they've already tried to privatize the water supply there twice with a company called Neptune, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. That want, yeah, yeah, they wanted to come full seawater and desalinate it, but they wanted to put the total cost of building the plant on the people. A big surprise there, and right? Then have, yeah, and then have private control. It got, it got shot down. So, you know, you got to wonder what's going on. But there, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that all this drought that goes on everywhere, and for that matter, the storms or hurricanes that we've been seeing for the past 10 years, these are manufactured things, and oh, they're, yeah. they're the, the result of, of weather modification. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, and then how, how you have drought over there, but yet down here in the south, Louisiana, Houston, <laughs> you get these massive rains and floods that comes through here that wipes everything out, you know? That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Crow, as uh, Randy asked me earlier about uh, the shootings, and then I said, you know, I don't know exactly what ha went down, but it's funny, like, how the whole thing had one vibe one month, and then I can tell you from personal experience being there right after the floods the whole vibe was like flipped completely different it's like everybody's just kind of in shock at this point like just emotional overload you know it's uh you know we, we live in terrible times if you well if you're going to be in a place where these things happen you know you're going to be directly affected with the population um and that's unfortunate but these things are ramped up through the media and you know these, these are not subjective things these are provable things like if you look at the weather channel on cable and listen to the language where it's constantly danger and threat and you know even on the simplest stupid little storm there's a threat assessment and all these things going on everything is constantly ramped up well the problem here is that maybe the three of us have a pretty good idea that the media is basically full of crap we know what they do they lie they ramp things up they push their fear horns but you see, there's a huge portion of this population that doesn't understand that. Right. And so the, mi the mindset in huge numbers of people in geographic areas is affected by this. And, you know, our minds do create this reality to some degree. 
So yep. it's a bit like casting a spell, and it makes everything that much worse. Hmm. Yeah, Jason and I was talking earlier today, and I said, it's amazing how things can happen around us. Some people see right through it, where I... I don't know if it's 90% of people, that's just a round number there that I'm just throwing out there, but a lot of people just go on about their business and, like, they don't even see. It's like, oh, wow, can you believe what happened? They're like, what? You can't see through what's going on, you know? Or one of the candidates say certain things, and you're like, oh, geez, here we go, (laughs) you know? Well, the reason I brought up about the flood uh, right after the shootings was how easily people could be distracted. I actually had a point behind that, was that, of course, all anybody was talking about was the shootings, and then the flood happened all of a sudden. And now for the past two weeks in the aftermath of that, I haven't heard anybody mention it once. It's just, oh, that's, well, the, that's the past well, now. Yeah. Well, what's happening, what we're starting to see is there's enough of us out there that are squawking about these things too loud. And there are a number of people, it's hard for us to know how many, because the information systems are controlled. Even for me to have an accurate assessment of how many people come to my YouTube channel, it's not possible. I get around this a little bit with my podcast website that I own personally, but it's not the same as YouTube with a complete worldwide audience. Um, But the point I would make is they are changing the channel very quickly. They do this all the time. You know, I covered not too long ago when I started to look at Woodstock and find some serious questions on how it was presented. And when I looked at the timeline, what you see is in July, maybe it was June, I think it's July back in 59, the the hoax moon landing happened. Then immediately after that, the hoax Charles Manson thing happened. And then immediately after that, I mean, very quickly after that, Woodstock comes along. And when we go back and pick these things apart, we can demonstrate the moon landing didn't happen. We can demonstrate that Charles Manson thing is a hoax. When we take cursory looks at Woodstock, we start to find the same shenanigans we always find. Um, maybe a little more difficult to pull apart because we have, you know, a three or four hour documentary and it just takes a lot of time to dig into these because we see how messages are controlled. In the case of the shooting down in Baton Rouge, or the red baton, where police lives matter, if you follow. Um, yeah. Even changing the channel very quickly, and it almost makes you wonder if those storms were manufactured intentionally to quickly get people from looking too hard at the lie they had just told. Yeah. See, I even thought about that one. Like, how convenient did that storm came through that fast right afterwards, you know? Yeah, it's hard to know these things, but I'll tell you what. Um, you know, there's a lot of people looking, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But it, it just kind of demonstrates that when you have full-spectrum information control, you have corporations like Google that own the Internet, you have, you know, all these networks that ended up controlling all television, all media owned by just a couple corporations. Um, it's simple. You know, something happens and it's not going down in the way that you want it. You just manufacture another big event that everyone will stare at and you know as a country we've been pretty well trained that we can only do one thing at once you know you can't possibly think about two things at once you can only think about one thing at once and that's how politics works see all of politics is the football in this way and what they do is if something gets a little out of hand they just invent a new nonsense crisis 
Hillary say something stupid. Trump, you know, call someone a nigger. You know, this is how it works. Um, and they immediately changed the channel. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was getting at because uh, I just witnessed it firsthand from the month of July to the month of August, and you know now to the beginning of September, I can see how the pe- the general populace, because I have to deal with them on a day to day basis, I'm seeing that exact thing happen. That's actually what I brought why I brought it up in the first place. I just wow, man, I'm seeing the social engineering right before my eyes, you know, and I think I'm the only one who's catching on to it. There, there's a lot of people who are catching on, but the real problem here is, and you can really kind of witness it on YouTube. YouTube is a is a prime place because when you watch a video, they suggest to you what you should be watching, and then when you begin to think about it or use the function at the bottom of YouTube to supposedly search other countries, what you find is first of all, almost all the videos you're getting are in English. So how can that be a worldwide search? First off, <laughs> yeah. secondarily. It's the same group of people. You know, I'm there. The Jungle Surfer's there. Secrets of Saturn is there. You know, it's the same bunch of us always kind of lumped in. And occasionally a new person shows up. But you can see what I mean. There's a whole world out there. How can, how can this circle of people be so small? It can't. And what you're seeing is information control. And then, you know, when you look at hit counts and other things like this, it's all nonsense. Um, there is no reality to the hit counts. We don't have a good way to gauge truly how many people are being exposed to the information or participating. And what's worse, they do stupid little things like, in my case, I put up a video tonight, episode 23, for my podcast on YouTube. And when they were showing the people that I had 200 hits, their own real-time viewer was already showing I had well over 1,000. The last one I did, uh, when I was at 500, I was almost up to 5,000 hits. And they were showing everyone else 500. And what this does, of course, is is if you're a person surfing YouTube and you say, oh, this video was put up a couple hours ago and it's already got 5,000 hits, you're probably going to want to see that video or at least some of it. But on the, you know, inverse side of that, if it's only got a couple hundred hits, you may or may not watch. Right. Manipulation, huh? (laughs) Yeah, YouTube is is very quickly... um, I'm losing interest. It's just such a kind of more of the same, you know. And, you know, people forget, you know, if, if you are given a thing for free that has value, then you are the product. And that is the case with YouTube. And, um, you know, we already don't have the kind of free speech we wish we could have. We can't cover all the things we want. Um, and then there's always people that come in and start putting strikes against you for no reason at all. Yeah. So, oh, they could just uh, make some random copyright claim and screw you over, even if it's not even re- remotely true. Well, not only that, there's a the whole thing of false reporting now, where you can report abuse. Um, there's whole groups of people having abuse reported on them, and you know some people get locked out of their accounts or other things until it's reviewed, and this kind of nonsense. So, you know, it's, it's just coverage. If, they, if, they don't, if you're saying things that aren't in the game plan, it's not too hard to put into it. Yeah. That's exactly why I lost my own fight, you know. I think that's the way things are going to have to go, and that's unfortunate because to this day, um, trying to serve video on your own is undoable for most people. It's undoable for me. If I take an audio clip that's just my voice and I put it on a media server, I can do that for, you know, 20, 40 bucks to run all the audio clips for my podcast in a month. 
So 20 to 40 bucks a month. Inversely, if I want to run video in the same way, and it does require an idiot to work, or it won't work, I try to do it every other way I can think of, and it just doesn't work. But what you find is you have to pay for the weight of the video. So that's kind of a funny thing. In other words, if I can pay for the weight of a video, and a billion people watch that video, a billion people's worth of bandwidth, my price doesn't go up at all, proving the construct. But what paying for the weight of the video does limits the length and the quality. So if you want to have an HD video that's, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes long, it's undoable. Right now, if I ran two clips that were HD that were roughly five to six minutes long, it would cost me a month worth of all the audio clips that I run, so it's undoable. Wow. And that's how, that's how Google keeps control of the video serving market, because they're giving it away. And the reason they're giving it away is because they're data mining all of us. We are the product. Not only are they data mining us, it gives them a very easy, convenient way to monitor what's being said. Hmm. Well, I tell you what. For me, I like your uh, your radio uh, because I think you're able to speak pretty much as free as you want to speak uh, and put whatever information you want out there. And the content is really, really deep from what you can put on YouTube. You know, you almost have to just edit it and keep it on the lighter side on YouTube. But on your actual website channel there, your radio station, it's just phenomenal, the information that comes through. And anybody who's hearing this, uh, if you haven't subscribed to uh, Crow's uh, radio show, you need to. Man, there's just deep information that you can get where you won't hear anywhere else, you know. It'll, it'll open your eyes on a lot, a lot of subjects. It really will. I agree with well, all this, that. This is all, yeah, this is also part of the construct. Because, as an example, the episode that I put up today, um, it covers Freemasonry, religion, and the encoding of astronomy across those three things. Um, anytime that you address something that matters and you put it on YouTube, there's going to be a clown show that follows. And part of it will be organized, the people who just come to do their trolling, because that's why they're there. Then you'll get a portion of the people who just don't get things, and they're trained and they troll because they've been trained as a human being, they think that's how they should act. But the point is, it doesn't bode well for information that matters. So you're absolutely right, Randy. What I do is I broach the subject, and I put it up on YouTube, and then the real kind of adult conversation happens on a private website. And <laughs> that's just that's the way the future of things is going to be for people who want to talk about things that matter. Yeah. Well, I, I would encourage everybody to subscribe I mean, really, uh, like I said, you're, you're not going to hear it otherwise. You're going to get the meat of it on your channel right there, on your radio show. Yes, indeed. Well, part of the problem, too, is you can't talk about certain things. Because when you're making basically what comes down to an accusation of people lying or being involved in deceit, uh, doing that on YouTube is a dicey thing. You know, there's only so many times you can call NASA a liar or use NASA footage before, you know, it causes trouble. Right. And, you know, that's kind of a very one-sided thing when you consider anyone who's been running a YouTube channel for some number of years, there's thousands of hours probably in video production and all these other things that could go away overnight. It's really kind of a, a morally unlawful thing to consider that someone can just pull the switch on that 
and you don't have any recourse. There's no email you can send, no one you can talk to. It just happened. You know, I have been wondering for quite a long time the cost that must go into YouTube having the, the server capability to store all that. Yeah, oh my gosh. Can you imagine? I can't even fathom what servicing. it must be. Yeah, I mean, servicing a world of give me your videos, the longer the better, HD the better. You know, well, you can go over 15 minutes if you give us your phone number so we can data mine you better. Um, go ahead, identify yourself, absolutely, and we'll let you run videos of any length in high definition. When you begin to think about the realities of the servers that have to back that, yeah, man, it's costing probably billions, and yet they're giving it away. And why are they giving it away? Because the one thing that is now king, it trumps bull, it trumps money, it's data. Data is king. What do you think all this data information that they're gathering, to what end would it serve or what purpose? I mean, I know I know there's millions of people that it's just like, well, you'll like follow me, okay? Well, you're going to have a boring day if you follow me, you know, type thing. But there is people that I can understand that, yeah, if you, if you gather their information. But I guess maybe as a whole it, it draws a bigger picture when you got millions of people thinking or doing certain things it draws a pattern uh, what what's your thoughts on that I, I i've tried to figure that out and i haven't really pinpointed exactly how all this information coming together would draw a certain picture for them well that you know i, I had a an episode not too far back where followers submitted questions and the question came up is technology where's technology going and will it ever help us my response to that was technology is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Yeah. It is the biggest shift in power that has ever occurred. And the people who control the data have gained basically a time machine. Um, not only a time machine, but they can identify anything about any group of people they have data on. As a matter of fact, in one of the recent Marvel Comics movies, The Winter Soldier, um, they make fun of this fact that your digital footprint that you've left so far, your past digital footprint, allows them to predict your future life. And I've said for a long time, with all the data they have on any given person, they can know things about you that you will never know. Things like the time of your death, down to the minute, place, pause, everything. But to take that further, it also identifies you as a certain group of people. And in doing that, it informs them how that particular group of people could be controlled. Not only that, um, I did data mining uh, in my, one of my first jobs. They were doing data mining for internet advertisement. They simply wanted to know which of these five ads would work the best in Texas on a rainy day that was a Tuesday. That's what the data mining was interested in. Right. But what, what you come to find out, and it was a data cube in those days. A data cube is six-sided. You know, who, who knows what a multi-million-sided object is called now, but basically what it comes down to is um, it's kind of like weather forecasting. If you could have a weather meter every 10 feet everywhere in the world, your prediction of the weather, if we didn't have weather modification, that is, your prediction of the weather would be 99%. Well, this is no different. The more data points you have, the more accurate your prediction, and therein lies the time machine. With enough data points, you can predict the future to a 99% certainty. And that's kind of a scary thing, because even if you look at something like Sandy Hope, 
um, where it was a complete fail. Well, they still got all the data on that fail, which probably told them a lot of things. Um, how we respond to a fail, how they can do things in the future and not have a fail. For all we know, the reason there was a storm in Baton Rouge immediately after the fake shooting was because of the data they gleaned from the fail of Sandy Hook, you know? It, it, you'll never know these things for sure, but the problem here is is that whoever controls the data is so immensely powerful, more powerful than any group has ever been, that it, it's, I don't know, you know, it, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like in, in more simpler terms of, of information. It's like when you drive down the highway and your GPS says you have a five-minute delay two miles ahead. How do they know that? Well, you got cell phones in every car in that next <laughs> 10 miles up the road. They can tell you at the speed of the traffic at any point on the highway just from our cell phones, each phone giving, right. giving a speed out to them, and they can right. record that, yeah. But you've also got to realize that everyone carrying a phone in their pocket where the GPS is activated, every vehicle with GPS, so not only are these all these digital fingerprints we all leave behind doing everything, the very movement of any portion of society are known through their car, through their cell phone. Um, so they actually can predict where any person would go or what any group of people would do or what any city would do based on all the movement data they have. You know, probably in a single day now, if they're collecting more data than the whole history of the world up to this point, every day. Yeah. That is crazy. It's insane. It's, it's insane. And, and you see, at one point, we had this expectation of privacy in this country. When I was growing up, if someone wanted to get access to your, even your darn library card, there would have been hell to pay. Oh, yeah. So you see, those days are long gone. Not only is there really no expectation of privacy anymore, nobody gives a damn. If you'll give me the privilege of using Facebook, I could care less about my data or my privacy. So it's a complete 180. And at this point, they're collecting every electronic form of communication every day, everywhere. Yeah. Um, all there is to it. Man, man, man. And, of course, you agree to it with flying colors and the user agreement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sign right here. (laughs) They make fun fun of us all the time with that stupid, you know, I agree thing with all the softwares and things you get. Um, You know, someone finally wants to be diligent and actually read that stuff before they accept. And the first thing you find is that it's, 27 pages long yeah. in fine print. And then the second thing you realize is it's in legalese so you don't understand it. So, I mean, it's just completely a one-sided game. <laughs> or, or when you download an app, it says uh, this app requires the use of your your uh, photo, library. photo library or your microphone. I'm <laughs> like, why? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I've to this day, I have never downloaded an app. To this day, I never carry a smartphone. Um, I don't get emails to a phone. I don't send emails from. I don't do any of that. Um, not that it probably really matters anymore, because yeah. you know we all have to use cards with money, and you know you're still being tracked. 
Well, you know, part of, part of me, you know, I think about that stuff, but then again, yeah, it makes it real convenient for my, me and business and everything to get emails, text messages, and all this stuff right to my handheld device. I don't have to worry about a computer at the house or anything. But, you know, for me, it's like, okay, you can be fearful of it or just embrace it and live your life as peaceful as you can, but em- just embrace it because, you know what, they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, unless we just get a big stick somehow or another and stop it all at one time, how, how can you stop them from doing what they're doing? So you almost like you have to just embrace the bully that's around you and just operate within their radar, you know, and just do your thing, you know, and not be fearful of it, I, I guess, you well, know. So, so much of the system is opt-in. Not only is it opt-in, you're warned in all these weird ways um, about these things that we do. I used the analogy of soda the other day. Um, you know, I've drank soda my whole life. But now, it says right on every can, this is a product of genetic engineering. So the question becomes, do I opt into that and use the kind of thinking, well, I drank soda my whole life and I'd like to have soda, so I guess I'll just drink this genetically engineered soda. Or do I take the opt-out approach? Or wait a minute, I don't want to drink something genetic engineered. It doesn't matter that I've drank soda my whole life. So, right. so much of this system is geared on the data they've collected, knowing that the majority of us are going to opt in. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that I'll ever be able to do about it, but I opt out. I opt out of everything I can. I just know. And, and part of that, too, is any system that puts an opt-in in front of you is a bit like the idea of lesser magic, where they're trying to wash their hands of responsibility. Yeah. In other words, yeah, the wrong thing happened, but you volunteered for the yeah. wrong thing. You agreed to well, that. As okay. I, yeah, I, I'm not volunteering. No, I don't accept that. No, I'm not opting in. So, for whatever that's worth. You know, something really strange happened to me the other day. You know, we, we I think we was talking about uh, reverse osmosis water in our houses and stuff like that, and you know, the fluoride and stuff that we get through our water, and. Uh, the other day I was on a job and a person, the, the homeowner, walked out with a glass of ice water. Hey, man, you want some water? And as soon as they handed it to me, now I don't refuse water if somebody offers me water. I mean, they went through the trouble of getting it for me. I mean, I take it. But there was something in me, something in me that just like refused, just refuse it. I took the water from them, but you know what? I didn't drink it. And I don't know, that's the first time that it has ever happened because it's like I drink, I bring my own water with me and it's reverse osmosis water, the purest that I can possibly get it if, for what that's worth. But <laughs> at that moment, when that person handed me that water, it's like I didn't want to take it because I didn't want to put that stuff in my mouth, that, that tap water in my mouth, you know? It's weird. Yeah. Yes, it's weird. But that's, that's the sign of the times. Yeah. The sign of the times, Randy. I mean, there was a time, you and I are both old enough to remember the time when the idea of even selling a bottle of water was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Because water was a right of every human being. So not only have we come to a point where everyone's accepted that water's not the right of every human being, we can have to buy it, um, but there's going to be all this crap put in it that nobody really wants. But they're going to do it anyhow. Well, they're going to do things like fluoride. You know, fluoride's a magical thing. <laughs> this medical thing yeah. that Dennis used, that apparently the dose doesn't matter. <laughs> the more you get, the better. Right. 
on a lighter note, I think I'm going to start drinking gasoline because it's cheaper than a, than a gallon of water. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's crazy why. I mean, even even in the, uh, what's that movie that encodes 9-11 all the way through Back to the Future? Yeah. They're even cracking the, the joke there. Bottled water, yeah, who's going to buy bottled water? They, they make a bunch of jokes in that movie at our expense, you know, to yeah. kind of demonstrate what a bunch of, you know, cattle we are, where we can kind of be herded wherever they want us. Yeah. Oh, man, we're sitting out here on the back patio looking at the sky. And, man, it is, is clear. I see the moon coming up behind the uh, trees there a little bit. Still hadn't quite quite come over where I can get a clear shot of it. Man, but it is looking good. Should be near full tonight, too. You guys going to film? Yeah. I think, what, uh, tomorrow night or third Friday night full moon, something like that. But it's getting close. Close enough for me. Maybe, I actually looked up the equinox and I wrote it down, but I forgot. What is the equinox on this time around? I think so. I think it was September. Yeah. Twenty one second. Twenty. Is it twenty one this time or twenty? I think it's twenty one. Is it? Yeah, I just wrote this down. I, I like to, and you gotta watch it too, guys, when you're looking up the equinox, because I just saw this article on space.com where the whole article was, yeah, in the past we have announced the equinox 24 hours too late, but it's no big deal, and here's why it's no big deal. Here's space.com admitting that they identified the wrong day for the equinox, and there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> You know, this has a lot to do with the episode on Freemasonry I put out today, the encoding of these astronomical events. So uh-huh. when you look up the equinox, uh, make sure you double and triple check it and look up the actual hour when the event occurs at the, you know, the exact moment the event occurs. And, you know, unfortunately, you got to confirm it in two or three ways to be certain because Space.com was admitting they flat out announced the time for the equinox 24 hours after it had already occurred and then wrote a whole article to tell you why that's not important, why it's no big deal that they announced it after it's already happened. According to this, uh, in Central, it will be Thursday, September 22nd, 2016, at 9.21 a.m. You know what? I, I'll have to look. I thought I had written down the 21st. You could be right. I'll, I'll look again. Oh, I'm just going um, by what I googled. I would, <laughs> yeah, I confirm it, you know, in more than one place, and I don't use... Like, I don't use the standard, like, I'll look it up for, like, eight times the standard places, but then I'll look back to other places. A good way to do it is uh, there's, like, these obscure websites that um, just not official organizations have made where they list the equinox dates for the past hundred years and that kind of thing. Um, So I like to bounce it off one or two of those just to be certain. What is your uh, thoughts on possible lunar wave around that time you're talking about? Maybe you think that you think there's a we could possibly see something. Well, the, the initial, yeah, the initial prediction that I made in 2012 uh, rang true. We've had the most lunar wave captures at the spring equinox and the best capture at the fall equinox. So I think it is always uh, your best chances are around the equinoxes and. I, I don't know why our best capture is on the highest Jewish holiday of the lunar calendar at right at an equinox. <laughs> um, but if if I was going to have to choose a time of the year to film, it would always be equinox to, to try to get away. Yeah. 
Well, maybe we can get a bunch of people out there across the country, around the world, or over the plane, whatever you want to call it, and <laughs> get the cameras and telescopes out and start doing some shooting. And, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping we'll get a few minutes of 4K stuff. I'm going to just shoot straight up camera tonight and uh, show Jason how this uh, stuff looks, you know, with 4K. It would be really cool to see uh, some of the things that we've filmed in the past in 4K. You know, it's, a, it's all about how much data you can record. And, you know, with your 4K camera, you're recording a hell of a lot more data than I ever did with the, the 8-inch telescope and my 18-megapixel camera in 2012. Um, you know, that's what the best wave was shot with. Yeah. And just think what we might be able to know um, from 4K footage. Who knows? If I can get this thing dialed in right, and I'm getting more used to the settings on it, and because uh, last few times I've, I've shot and when I've looked at it on my computer, uh, I had a blue hue around the edge of the moon and uh, just some blurriness to it, and so the settings weren't quite right, you know. So I'm thinking, pretty much let this thing rip in automatic, and it it just about puts it where I need it. Sometimes I have to close the iris just a little bit because it just tends to you know blast it out too too much so i'll uh, just tone it down just a little bit do you have a uh, a standard just a regular lens because um sounds like you might be getting a little chromatic aberration or something from a lens that's lower quality than the ability of your camera um might be something to think about to get you yeah. know a really good lens for it yeah. Well, Jason was telling me that uh, he's got a friend that um, knows a lot about lenses that can go on these these cameras and stuff like that, and uh, he's going to check with him, and possibly if we can get, um, right now I have a 2X converter on the end of it, if I can jump up to, say, you know, 6x or 8x whatever it might be whatever another higher number is to where i can bring things closer but keep it in the the optical zoom versus having to right. jump into the 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 digital if i can keep it all yeah, in the optical man it, it just makes it just super clean you know yeah you don't you definitely don't want to use the digital zoom because that'll defeat the purpose but i, I would suggest you before you buy like i have a doubler, so two times on my lens. And what happens is, is you lose some mess up, so it really darkens it down, right. and in a weird way, um, it ends up making you feel like you're sacrificing a little quality, so it shouldn't really be that way, that's kind of the feeling you get. I'm not sure what you're going to find. You know, first of all, if you're shooting a moon, you've got plenty of light to play with, so maybe it won't be a concern, right. but um, I'm just imagining putting a five or a six times on my telephoto, and I think that that, it just, it starts to cause problems at a certain point of magnification, everything, jiggling, f-stops, just everything. Yeah. Why you accept it before I bought it? Right. Hey, well, maybe we can get him to bring one out and we'll just test it first. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Send it to well, me, I mean, we'll even, test it. Even if you just got a four-by or something just to test it um, on a full moon, of course, like I said, you know, the moon, most people don't realize when you're using a telescope on the moon, if you put an eyepiece in, it'll hurt your eye if you don't knock down the surface right, you know, right. by about 80%. So, I plenty figured, of light to work with. I figured that out real quick. I, I was watching the moon for about 20 minutes one night. Man, I was just examining it really good, and I raised up from my telescope. I'm like, 
Oh, crud, I'm blinded. <laughs> I could not see out of one eye. I mean, it just like, it was gone. Right? Know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you could actually damage your eye if you did that for very long. Even with a 26 so millimeter lens. Is there a standard filter you have to put on it to, uh, to be safe? Yeah, I knock it down 80% if the moon is anywhere near full. Um, you know, it always depends on your seeing. But if you're looking at a good full moon, you want to knock it down about 80%. Just get one of these dark filters that goes right on the eye feed. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it if you're not using an eye feed. Yeah. With a camera, you would just adjust the f-stop and, and other things to deal with it, and you're not staring at it, so it's not going to start to make your eye feel bad. Right. Oh, Jason, you got a question for him? <laughs> oh, you know what? I actually did want to ask you something. Um, I saw Spudgy Pang came back on. Apparently, he actually went to Seattle and came back. I'd really love to have a chat with him. Um, what have you made of all the uh, the stuff he's been putting out about Seattle? Because when I started watching through all his videos, there's there's quite a lot there. Well, there's you know this is the problem with doing like why so many of my episodes or myself. It's so hard to find people that are up to speed, and he's one of them. You know, um, he's not afraid to step up and use a little human learning, and you know risk risk maybe getting it wrong, but understanding that he knows enough that he knows damn well, even if he gets it wrong, he's in the right ball field. And his Seattle work, I've been watching and waiting. Um, I think he's done everything pretty damn well. I think there's a good chance that he could end up predicting something. And, you know, that's the trouble with so much of these false events is they're all plausibly deniable to the average mind. And so when someone finally does get the wherewithal to predict it in some way, but again, data collection makes this very difficult, you know. Um, is it possible that data collection's at a level where they know a prediction's going to happen, so they change something or don't do it? I don't know. But Spudgy's, he's right there, and he's not cool. He's uh, a very aware individual. He definitely is. I, what I notice is he doesn't really get too many people, or I should, let me rephrase that. He's not showing hardly anybody watching his videos. Like, I'll see them, it's like a hundred some odd people, a couple hundred at the most. It's like, is he really that far off the radar at the moment, or are they cranking his numbers down so people just don't know who he is? I would imagine people like Fudgy, people like the Jungle Surfer, they always have numbers like this. Um, and I think it's partially by design. And I think part of it is um, the audience that's just too far over their head for a lot of the audience. So I think it's both. I think partially um, they're speaking at a level that just there's a lot of people that can't understand it yet. But at the same time, you know, damn well, um, they're jacking the numbers. You know, and I, I, I would probably be right there at those numbers. I'm not way ahead of them in daily numbers. But I posted so much kind of unique, weird things on the moon that I got a following. Um, but even now, uh, you know that if you, if you had to guess, according to Google, take a guess at how many subs I've lost over the lifetime of my channel, according to YouTube. Probably a zillion, you know. 25,000. Hmm. 25,000 subs. Every month, I lose from five to 2,000 subs. Since I cleared 60,000 subs, um, it's... Every day, it's the same thing. You gain a couple, and then on the balance of the day, you go negative. Um, it's just been, ever since I, I've been months over 60,000, 
And right before that, I was getting one or two thousand subs a month. Um, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a game, and people like Spudgy or Jungle Surfer or other people um, who are putting out critical, critical, unafraid information. Just looking the beast in the eye and saying, I see you, beast, and here's how I see you. Um, those people are not going to have open, open gateways to their front door. Um, of course, they're, you know, for all we know, but you may have a hundred times the viewership being shown. We have no way to know. Same thing with Jungle Surfer, too. His numbers are pretty much along that same line, you know. It's just pretty low in comparison to your numbers. Or and, Well, his channel's been around a lot longer than mine, too, so that tells you something. Oh, I was suspicious. That's why I brought it up. It's just like, come on, I know that these guys are putting out info that people are looking for. Yeah, you know, and a big part of it is the YouTube generation. You know, they want their eye candy. They want their, you know, they want what they want. When you get people telling you something that matters in a serious tone of voice and making no apology, um, you know, that's immediately going to weed out all the hacks. You know, people that will shoot. Shut up, bro. Show me a UFO. You know, <laughs> this kind of thing. Uh, it's, it, you know, a lot of people out there that are the YouTube generation, they're, they're not interested in, in anything that matters. They're interested in entertainment. And as we all know, you know, if, if, if the average person had been taught in school how to break down a word, they might not be so in a hurry to be entertained. Oh, yeah. If you break down that word, enter, to go in, pain derived from kin and ken means the whole and then meant mind. So the very word entertainment that they speak means to go in and hold your mind. <laughs> yeah, TV programming. <laughs> exactly. It's not called that by accident, that's for sure. <laughs> so how long are you over there for, Jason? Oh, just for tonight. Whenever Randy uh, gets tired and throws me out. I just came in the afternoon. It's about a Four and a half hour, five hour drive. wasn't too bad. Had some jam up barbecue too. We did. We had some great barbecue, and then we came over and just had a good chat, and then decided to call you. So he's close enough that if we want to do anything in the future, I certainly don't mind doing the drive. Not, not at all. I'll tell you what. You know, when I came back last time um, from the exposure, it was the first time that I took the southern route around Ken and, and all those roads. Those are some of the best roads in the country. Oh, yeah. Beautiful roads. Straight shots, all, you know, no cracked potholes. When I went through, very few police. Most of the police were in the city. It wasn't like there was even speed traps everywhere. Last two times I went across the country, all the cops were in the cities. And in the old days when we used to do this, the whole thing was watch out for speed traps, you know, hanging out with the truckers and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there weren't too many on the way here, uh, just here and there. Right, right before coming into Texas, and right after, I saw quite a few, and then hardly anything like afterwards. That's one thing I have to say about around here is they, they can build a major highway, and still keep the traffic flowing at seventy miles an hour. <laughs> you know, you go through some states, Louisiana, mm. name one. Yeah, <laughs> you start through there, and they got fifteen miles of one lane block. It's like why? They're not doing anything out here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that's how here. they do it in California, but they do it all at night. <laughs> yeah, not here, man. Man, they, they build a major highway, and, man, they can divert traffic, and they flow it, and they smooth it down through there. And, yeah, it gets a little bottleneck at, you know, early morning, late in the afternoon. But for the most part, 
traffic just flies down through here. If you don't get out and punch it, punch it, Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get run over. <laughs> so, what's your plan, Crow? You gotta shoot the next couple nights and see if you can get another wave. Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah, I had planned to do it. Um, I'm really hoping. I was gonna be on it tonight, and we had perfect conditions. It was so strange because we, we haven't seen any rain. We had this really late spring here. I mean, very late. Matter of fact, I planted pepper plants because you can't get hot sauce here on the East Coast, so I plant my own peppers and chilies to make hot sauce. Just now, they're starting to get ready to make fruit. It's this late in the season. Um, but there's been no rain, and there was chemtrails and blue skies, and then, man, a storm just flipped in. I mean, in a matter of minutes, dumping buckets, and then it was over as quick as it came. Oh, yeah. So I'm, hmm. I'm hoping that, that uh, I'll have a shot as we come up to the full moon because that's the game for the lunar wave, anyhow. So Who much... knows? Maybe one of, these, one of these days one of us will be filming and, and the light bulb will go out. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giant LED, man. <laughs> yeah. The original LED. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do they say? Edison's first light bulb is still burning somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, how much different if you do capture it this time? What's different with your gear this time around than it would have been in 2012? Um. Well, and I've caught waves with my newer gear, even with the full spectrum camera. But compared in, in the 2012 wave. I was using my classic 8-inch made telescope, and I was using a Canon T2i with only 18 megapixels. Uh, now I'm shooting with an 11.25-inch telescope and a 36-megapixel Nikon, um, and I also have a 20, I almost forget, 24, 26-megapixel full-spectrum Canon. Um, so for a long time, when I was in San Diego and uh, able to film when the chemtrails weren't just knocking it out, making it impossible all the time, I was shooting mostly with a full-spectrum camera. But I don't know. It's one of those things. You just go with your gut. Um, there's real real advantages to having the full-spectrum. But at the same time, for visual detail of something like the wave, um, you're never going to be visual color and just a really good high-megapixel camera. So... You know, it, it, that's the thing. I shot a couple waves with the full spectrum, and as soon as I did it, I was saying, "Man, I wish I would have had my other camera on it." And, <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought when I was using the full spectrum that it, it might really help to demonstrate, you know, because you can pick up the, the glow outside the moon, or if the moon's not fully lit with the full spectrum, you can see the shadowed portion of the moon. Um, so that was my hope. But the truth is, is if I'm shooting with my Nikon, it's more visually impressive but you're just not getting the same amount of, of data. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that the, it kind of boils down to a couple things here. One of them is that, yeah, we've got some beautiful footage of the wave, but what the heck is it? <laughs> you know? But like, I keep mulling my head over and over. Every time I see it, I'm like, what? What could it be? You know, I mean, you think well, is it a shock wave? Is it a is it a water wave? I, I don't know. You know, it's weird. It's I don't know, man. The cat's out of the bag, though, Randy. You know, oh, yeah. that's just kind of the way I look at it now. Yeah. Um, people are aware of it. Uh, there's, you know, think of think of when you and I first met. 
you know, uh, when I was in San Diego, there were very few people doing what we were doing, and now there's tons of them. Yeah. So the cat's out of the bag. If there's value to the lunar wave, um, you would imagine that more will come of it independent of what you or I do or say. Right. Um, and that's really, that's really my hope. Well, you know, there is more and more people knowing it's, that it's there because when I'm out on jobs, I just I just quiz people. I said, hey, man, I said, you, you like seeing the moon in a different perspective or what's your thoughts on UFOs and stuff? And I'll show them a couple of pictures and I'll show them a lunar wave. They said, I've heard about this. I've heard about this. And it just more and more people are telling me as I show them, yeah, I've seen this before, you know. So, yeah, you're right. The cat's out of the bag, and if, if more and more people just get out there and just shoot, and the more people who catch it, the more validity it gives it, you know? Right, but, you know, one, one thing is some of the footage that we've seen just to me feels different. Yeah. It feels flat. It feels disassociated. It, even though it has the, the trademark doubles that are not tied together like a boat wave, um, you know, a typical lunar wave where, you know, it's pretty clear that a jet didn't just go by and do that. But some of them, even though we don't hear a jet or see a jet or anything else, they just feel different. Now, if space is truly water, maybe that's part of the reason. But when you look at the very best examples we have, intuitively, in your gut, when you see it, it's just like, what? in the hell is that you know it's just like very yeah compelling you just know there's something going on there um so yeah it will be interesting to see it. there's so many people too will begin to film and they'll start saying things well i film the moon all the time and i never get the wave and i, I always want to say well yeah let me say something you're not filming all the time <laughs> you know and i always end up telling the story of what happened in 2012 i accidentally filmed the best example we have yeah. And then everybody told me I was faking it. And, you know, for a year and a half, I put up with nothing but accusations. And I finally, filming nonstop after a year and a half, I filmed it again. So, yeah. you know, people got to understand. You want to be a wave hunter? Well, you better get a comfortable pillow for your butt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, about it. Because, it, it, yeah, it's not it's not like going grunion hunting or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, there's, there's two ingredients. You need some equipment that's decent, and you need to put in a hell of a lot of time. Yeah. And when I when I think back now on the amount of my life I put into filming, you know, and you know I'll still film and post things, but I just I can't I can't give up that much of my life, and that's what it took to produce what I was producing. Yeah. Well, I, I found with myself some days I'm just so exhausted tired from the day's work that i just don't even feel like coming out the back door you know if i do right, it's gonna be right. flopped down on a chair back here and relax in a nice you know evening you know but uh, yeah if you're going to shoot have some decent equipment to start off with because if you catch such an a rare event don't give it to chance by using just something that's just haphazardly thrown together you know and you know what i, yeah, was, th- not only- I was thinking of something well, was- go ahead go ahead go ahead well, I was going to mention, so many people will film, and then they'll do a tight shot on the moon. And they don't realize when you're magnifying something that close, anything that happens is going to go through your frame in less than a second. Yeah. So that's the other piece of things. If you really want to watch the moon, you're not doing a tight shot. You're full-framing the moon full fast. 
right. that's how you learn something. Well, yeah, that's uh, exactly what, that's what I did the first time that I caught it. Do you remember? Uh, I, was, yeah, I, I was zoomed in so tight it just looked like, you know, well, what was that? You blink your eye and it was already gone. And that was exact words that you told me. Zoom out, man. Get get a wider perspective because I don't know if I'm looking at your backyard or the moon, you know? So, yeah. I remember that conversation. Yeah, I remember when you filmed it. It was the first tight view of the lunar wave we had, so it ended up being valuable. But, um, you, you know, there was the one guy, uh, I forgot which guy it was, who contacted me and said, I filmed the lunar wave, but I heard and saw the jet that made it. And it was a tight shot, but the waves that go by, um, they're not the same as a real lunar wave. They're better than the average footage you see, but they're locked together on a tight shot, and they're very close together. In other words, if he had been zoomed out and full-framed the moon, it would almost look like both those waves are one Right. Um, from that perspective. But you can tell the difference. But, you know, at least he was honest enough to say, I saw this get caused by a jet. Yeah, um, and probably, too, if he was so zoomed out, you may not be able to see it because, you know, a jet wash is really, unless you're tight in on it, you probably won't see it that well, you know? Well, you got to have, yeah, I don't know. You know, it looks like a boat wake. The one that we know has a, it has some definition, not as good as a real lunar wave, but some definition. Um, it looks exactly like a boat wake. There, there's two waves tied together. Right. And they're very close together. So you can tell the difference. But, you know, I, I've posted, I don't know, five or six, all different kinds of jets transiting the moon, and I've never seen anything even close um, to what you saw. Yeah. Well, boy, it would be super nice to be able to catch with this camera that I have sitting here. It's just poised and waiting, <laughs> waiting to catch it, you know. But yeah, Like yeah, I said, you sure. got to get out here and sit down for hours, get you a soft cushion, because you're behind wheel turn numb. I guarantee <laughs> you that, bro. Goodness. You know, so, yeah. I, I almost, yeah, what would be so awesome is that if you caught a good wave, a good strong wave, um, with the 4K and it had the offset, um, you know, like the 2012 footage where it offsets the whole image of the moon. Because with 4K, you would be able to process the video in a way that would show you things. Like if you ran a fine edge filter, I mean, the detail you would get out of it. Oh, yeah. Inverting, inverting the colors, that kind of thing, or masking the moon and being able to look at the very limb of the moon, these kinds of things would be way better than anything we've had today. Right. Has anyone caught anything since uh, we did the the actual show together on on the Lunar Wave Roundtable? Yeah, yeah. There's been a few. I don't even remember. I quit counting a long time ago. I just kind of try to keep my nose out of it so that it has a lifetime free of me. You know, Cause so many people want to act like it's something I made up, or you know that somehow I'm influencing it. And you know, from my point of view. Uh, I see him, I say, yeah, that's cool. I don't even authenticate him anymore or even try. You know, I ask him, well, what you see? How'd you do it? Cool, keep shooting. Um, in my estimation, if there's any value to the lunar wave, it's well enough known that enough people are shooting that it should, something should come of it, you know, whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. As is with so much other information that's floating around, too, you know? You know, the, yeah. tr- the truth the truth has to come out somewhere along the line, you know, or the understanding of it, something other. 
Well, e- even just the mindset from when the time when I shot the first lunar wave. I mean, imagine how many more people there are now that don't accept that the moon landing was real. Even things like that have a bearing on them. Um, because when public consciousness begins to change about a thing, yeah. I think that really opens up more possibility. And, you know, there's so many clips on YouTube now. Like, what's that one guy who chased down all the astronauts after him to swear on the Bible? And, oh, Bart Sabrell, you know, yeah. Was, yeah, there was one problem with that. You know, all these clips where he's all, well, take me to court. I'd love to go to court so I could show all the lies about the moon landing. And then Buzz Aldrin punches him in the face. How did that <laughs> not end up in court? How did he not get his wish instantly when Buzz Aldrin punched him yeah. in the face? Yeah. I've so, tried to talk you know, to him, actually, because uh, I was trying to do a moon hoax uh, roundtable. And he said yes months ago, and then he's gone silent on me. Like he, I, I tried to contact him on Facebook because I'm still like a Facebook friend of his. And every time I've tried to talk to him about anything, he just sends me his email address again. And I've emailed him multiple times. He won't get back to me. So I don't know. Well, I'm very suspicious. You know, I watched it all, and and – uh, it looked like a guy pinning him down. And then I started to think, wait a minute, is all this staged. How could a guy be sitting there saying, I want you to take me to court. Here's my lawyer, you know, and the, the astronauts are seemingly saying, if you air this, I'm taking you to court. And he keeps saying, please do. And so then one of them punches him. That's a guaranteed court, unless you're bought off or you settle out of court. But really, if your main goal was to out the information... There was your ticket to court right there. Not only that, endless notoriety. How many people get punched in the face by Buzz Aldrin? <laughs> That's true. Well, a lot of people have definitely seen that video because I saw that ages ago. Yeah, it just doesn't. It's something feels completely wrong to me. No, I, I know that. what you're saying. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know for sure, but it, it seems to me like if you really wanted to get in court, there was your e-ticket. You could have gone on every ride in Disneyland. <laughs> Yeah, right? That's what they call dancing with the star, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is that really bothers me about that is if you were Buzz Aldrin, would you ever hit someone in the face when you know you're being filmed? Is that even a possibility? Could you ever be that stupid? You know, if you're going to punch someone in the face, you're going to do it when you're on camera, right? If you're Buzz Aldrin. I don't know, the whole thing just feels wrong to me. Well, this is the same Buzz Aldrin that's, that's been on CNN with pictures of uh, monoliths on the uh, moons of Mars, so who knows, you know? Well, I mean, you're looking at a man who occasionally surfaces to sell the quarter that was in his pocket on the moon for $75,000. I mean, it is the most egregious kind of evidence that this is all nonsense. Really, that's... That's what the the right stuff, the best of the best, that's what it was about. This man shows up every five, ten years and sells another trinket for a few thousand dollars that was in his pocket. It's all very laughable. He's also a uh, 33rd degree Freemason for whatever that may mean. Well, listen to episode 23 on 777 Radio. (laughs) I proved beyond the shadow of doubt that what Freemasonry did was lie. And they didn't just lie to the world, they lied to their own membership. There's a small group of them at the very top of a royal arch degree called Hebrew. <laughs> and they know the ultimate secret. Uh-huh. And the ultimate secret of Freemasonry is, guess what? We lied to you. You know, that's what it was. So, yeah, I don't know how you beg and plead to go to court and then get the ultimate chance to go and it never happens. 
Well, that's probably a good place to let you go. I got a four and a half hour drive ahead of me. Oh, you're heading back tonight. Uh, oh yeah, in a little bit I am. But it was great. Right, to, well, it was great for the three of us to chit chat. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll catch up with you again. And Randy, if I get a chance, um, and a good clear shot as we pull into the full moon here near the equinox, uh, maybe I'll give you a holler one of these nights when I've got the rig out. Yeah, let's do it. I, I think we're going to walk around to my driveway where where we're sitting right now. The trees are still blocking it, so it'll be another two, three hours before it clears the trees. But we can go to my driveway and get a good, clear shot of the moon. So I wanted to show Jason a little bit of the the moon stuff here in a few minutes before he runs out and uh, on this camera and see what it looks like. So, yeah. But anyhow, man, uh, great talking with you, as always. And, uh, man, just live live life large and have fun with all this, man. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing, sure thing. Uh, have, a, have a safe drive home, Jason. Uh, good to hear from you guys again. Yeah, you too, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. Have a good night, guys. Good Bye. night. Good night. Bye. There you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. I'll have a more traditional show next time. I've got several things in the works, and hopefully we'll be able to get those out to you soon. Take care. Inside the past. Inside the past.